created live on Fireside. Thank you, thank you. Hold the applause until the end of the show. Well, can you believe it? It's another round of Doing It Sober Live. Welcome to everybody who's tuned in live via Fireside Chat. My name is Chris Nell Sands, Daniela Park. Daniela is absent this week, but God willing, we'll have her back. We wish her a speedy recovery. And we've got a wonderful guest for you. He's already logged himself in. And uh, before we let him do the talking, we need to make him feel extra special. So let me just open up my press kit here. Here we go. Our visitor today, most certainly, if he didn't exist by force of nature, he'd have to be invented. That would be a characterization that the late Larry King once used in order to describe the late news pioneer Sarah McClendon. Michael Sargood is certainly the United Kingdom's bright light. He's charismatic, and he takes on life with a no-nonsense, light-hearted bearing. He's an influencer with his banner known as Happy Without the Hooch. He's also, as a result, set up a petition in order for better information on the age of use and health warnings on the packaging of alcohol. However... His philanthropic endeavors don't just end there. He's also the mastermind behind South End Sober Socials, which puts emphasis on the rather apt practice of dry humor. Let me assure you, that is not a pun. Blackadder, Alfresco, not the 9 o'clock news, and a bit of Fry and Laurie doesn't have two bits on Michael and his troop. The man is here, and we're proud to welcome him to our program. Michael Sargood. Make yourself be known, matey. Welcome to the show. Hello, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. And what an introduction. I don't think I've ever had an introduction like that in my life. I, d- I don't feel worthy. Oh, come on. Come on. No, no that's worthy. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me something. Whereabouts in the UK are you situated, mate? I'm situated in a town, well, actually today it became a city. The Queen declared that it's now a city of Southend-on-Sea. She was, um, yeah, we had the Royals today in town, and that's about an hour east of London, just on the coast. So it's about the the closest seaside town to London, so it's where a lot of Londoners will go in the summer for a day trip, get out the buckets and spades, have a walk down the... (laughs) Have a walk down the longest pier in the world and eat some disgusting shellfish that we're famous for. <laughs> Normally cockles. <laughs> or whelks. I'm a bit of a whelk fan myself. <coughs> oh, God, you're choking just at the thought of them. They're not that bad with a bit of vinegar. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, I love seafood. Um, you know, uh, calamari is where I literally draw the line in crayfish. I'm absolutely allergic to crayfish. But I imagine, you know, it must be really a, a sight to behold. It's one of my bucket list places to uh, to visit. Now, Mikey, tell me something before we get to the good side. You know as well as I, every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And then, Just so briefly, whereabouts did your alcoholism start? It was alcoholism exclusively, right? You didn't do any other substances. Um, I didn't get addicted to any other substances. So alcohol has right. been my problem drug, let's say. Um, so that was and, your Achilles heel, yeah? Yeah, that was my Achilles heel. And I suppose in a way it was my gateway drug. Um, I've tried others, mm-hmm. never really liked them and didn't get 
involved in them. Like I tried them if I was drunk and people had, you know, I'd had too much to drink. I'd sometimes say yes, but that would normally be the end of it. But I didn't need anything else because I managed to, uh, you know, ruin most of my life with the alcohol alone. I didn't need any, anything else on top. So, um, Well, if you only have one, what's the use of the others? Exactly. So, yeah, it was, it was a lucky sort of first strike for me. Um, and I, I didn't really get into drinking until um, till quite late for someone who's British. You know, most of the time people here would you know, start drinking at 12. But I waited until I was nearly of legal age, 18 over here in the UK. I think it's 21 in the States, isn't it? But uh, 21 yeah. in the States, yeah. But here where I live, it's it's it was 18. Now it's 16, believe it or not. 16? Okay, where's, 16. where's that then? I, you're asking me. I'm so, Any so, event? so yes, was, and then 18, um, I was working in a pub. I was usually, um, usually when you work in a pub in the UK, people will pay for their drinks and they'll say, Take your own, and by the end of the night, you've got enough for about three pints, which you then have to drink fairly quickly because the landlord wants to um, wants to go to bed. <laughs> so you've got three pints of beer, which you've got to drink in about half an hour. Um, <laughs> and I never really struggled with that. It wasn't much of a wasn't much of a mission. Um, no, not at all. And uh, then I just sort of continued drinking, sort of. Like uh, in, in my twenties, I would typically be binge drink at the weekend, try and get myself, you know, sort of right again for work on the Monday. By the end of my twenties, though, I just, um, yeah, I hadn't, I didn't just restrict it to the weekends. I think a couple of things had happened. Um, I was in a really bad relationship at the time. I didn't like, um, and I was planning to escape that. My best friend was going to put me up. My best friend since childhood, Juliet. So I was planning my escape, and then all of a sudden. I, I lost her. She went into hospital on the Wednesday. She'd passed away on the Saturday and I'd lost my best friend and my escape plan. And that's when I started buying drink on the way back from work as well. I just, mm. instead of just keeping it to the weekend, I'd buy a small bottle of liquor um, and I'd take it home and I'd, I'd secretly drink it during the course of the evening whilst pretending I was drinking tea. I'd have or coffee. I was making teas and coffees all night. Oh, would you like another cup of coffee? And they're thinking, why are you drinking so much tea? And it's only because it's got vodka or gin in it. <laughs> um, uh, quickly discovered, though, that if you put liquor in a hot drink, then the fumes are very apparent. So I was having to Big put... Time. Yeah, especially if it's something like whiskey. I mean, that's... Yeah, you're not going to disguise that. Try vodka uh, next time. Apparently it doesn't yeah, smell. Vodka was the, yeah, the least pungent, let's say, when... And, um, <laughs> So I would have inst cold, instant coffee with vodka. I mean, it was absolutely disgusting, but it meant I could sit there in front of the television pretending to watch some sort of nature documentary whilst absolutely getting rat-arsed. And it was, uh, yeah, it sort of, it was a slippery slope. Um, and then, yeah, into th all the way through my 30s, it just it became more. It wasn't a small bottle. And, um, I mean, I left that relationship, but the drinking pattern was well embedded by then. So I still binge drinking at the weekend, um, which was my regular drinks plus other drinks at the pub. Um, and then I was drinking sometimes I'd often give myself a Monday night off. My weekend gradually got longer. It starts on the Thursday and then it starts on the Wednesday. Then it meant I was only having Monday and Tuesday off. And then after a while I was finding that I was, 
getting really sweaty and I'd be shaking if I didn't drink. So I was drinking on the Mondays and Tuesdays as well to fill the gap. So, yeah, it was sort of... Um, it's quite insidious the way it sort of crept into my life and actually physical alcohol dependence took over. So that was the, that was the backstory. Um, and it, all, it was, it was affecting my physical health. I, it, I lived when we used to work in offices. Do you remember those days when you actually I, used to go I, into an office? I haven't done that for a while. Um, I miss it. I don't. Um, I miss it. I miss the people. I get to see enough. I get to turn them off on the screen now, though. So you get to well, still get to talk to them and have a laugh. And, like, <laughs> and they can't come up to you and tap you on the shoulder and say, can you just do us a small favour? Well, they don't flick you anymore with paper clips and with um, yeah, that, staplers uh, that, anymore. It was, the, um, it was more the elastic bands, actually. And, I was, and I've got a brilliant aim. I've got the, um, yeah, anybody who flicked me with an elastic band well, soon learnt not come to. come at you with peach shooters. No, we didn't have those. Those were not allowed, but elastic bands were commonplace. And um, <laughs> if, if I was aiming someone between the eyes, that's where it would land. So I tended not to be too much of a, a victim. And I was never Remind gentle. Remind me though. that I don't challenge you in darts. Well, you see, it's because I'm very short as well. And I've got small man syndrome. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I try and overcompensate by the ferocity of my elastic bands. <laughs> <laughs> well, matey... You know this as well as I. The taller you are, the harder you fall. The shorter you are, the further you fly. But yes, small thing, yes. big things come in small packages, namely TNT. Yes, that, that is true as well. Very small. Um, enough to bring down the Houses of Parliament. You can topple a <laughs> regime with that. And not necessarily on Guy Fox Day. <laughs> no, no. We're a little way away from that, aren't we? But Mikey, tell me something. Where eventually did you decide it was time to call it quits? Oh, I've, most weeks, in fact, um, you know, most Monday mornings, full of regret, or Friday and Saturday and Sunday mornings, I'm definitely <laughs> never going to, never going to drink again. Um, and then often, when I've had a really shameful episode, like I've woken up on the high street or on a roundabout and stuff, and this stuff happened regularly or in a ditch, um, then I'd vow that I was never going to drink again. And normally that would last three days. And by that point, I'm, some of the shame and humiliation has subsided. Hey, hey. Um, family members are beginning to talk to me again. And it's like, hmm, I reckon, I reckon next time I'll just go a bit easier on it. All I need to do is practice moderation because I've been practicing it for 20 years, which clearly isn't enough. Um, mm. So then, but my life, I'm currently just over a year sober. Um, so I first stopped drinking. It was actually in 2020 in the March. Um, I decided enough was enough. I'd been really ill after drinking and I was just lying, shaking and I'd had fits as well. And I thought I've got to right. stop this. Um, and I went to live with my parents for a week to begin with. And then we were in lockdown. So I lived with them for another three months. Um, before moving back home. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I sort of started going out again. And at seven months, I, I relapsed. I'd sort of, I was trying to do everything the same as I always did, except with a, uh, well, with a Pepsi Max in my hand. Other brands are available. Um, instead of a beer or a vodka, but it wasn't actually much fun. Uh, I was going to pubs. 
I wasn't really enjoying it because I was watching people get drunk, then trying to either babysit them or I'd agreed to give them a lift home, which means you're the last person to actually go to bed because you have to shepherd everyone. And mm. by the end of the night, you want to throttle them and you've had a really lousy time. Um, so I, I decided one night, it had been a tough week, and I thought, well, actually, the people around me here in the pub, they don't know I'm not supposed to be drinking. No one else is going to know. I could have one tonight. And that one uh, lasted four months, um, pretty much. And by the end, <laughs> what was that? That's <laughs> my producer. That's my producer busy effects. throwing in some, some sound effects for, for dramatization. Well, that scared the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> and uh, Well, it's adding to the ambience. It's supposed to scare people. <laughs> well, it, it works. It's very, it's very scary. And then after that four months, um, I had another particularly um, bad, bad couple of days actually um, of of drinking really like heavily. And I went to bed. I woke up, felt awful. And that's when I woke up, um, realized actually with a bit of investigation that I hadn't just um, drunk, gone to bed, and woken up. I'd had a whole day in between where I'd got up and I'd been active and I've just lost over 24 hours to to blackout mm. and I thought that I've never lost a whole day before whilst I've actually been active as well I'd, and I'd stolen a large novelty sausage from the local supermarket and I know that's not like maybe the it's not my proudest achievement and it's probably not the worst the worst of what happens <laughs> it was this very large Italian salami Priced at four pounds ninety nine, I seem to remember. It was delicious. Four pounds ninety nine pence. Well, it was at Lidl. It's a discount supermarket because that's where I got my vodka. Because if I went there, I could get seven hundred mils of vodka for um, it was ten pounds. It was less than the packet of cigarettes. I mean, that's what it had come down to. And I didn't bother buying mixer because that was um, <laughs> that was money I could put towards my next bottle of vodka, obviously. And it just weakened the drink, so it, was, it seemed completely pointless. <laughs> well, so that was my good on, good on either Asda or Tesco's for, for making that possible. No, it was little, um, which is much cheaper than Asda oh, or Tesco. Yeah, yeah, good German discount brand. I mean, you get no service at all. Like, um, they just sort of you go up to the till and they take your goods, and then they, it just they don't even have an area where you can bag it. It just goes off the end of a cliff, and you've got to try and somehow catch it in a bag. And then if you don't do it within a few <laughs> seconds, they snarl at you and some sort of and everybody hisses. It's horrible. But you can't floor them. You can't fault them on prices. If you could buy a bottle, a full bottle of vodka for less than a packet of cigarettes, I mean, is it? Any surprise, we're called Binge Drink Britain. Big time. Big time. You know, <clears throat> I have no comeback to that, but let's get to the positive side now. You know, yes. I, want to bring yeah. up, I want to bring up a story, and you'll know this as well as I. There's a lovely gentleman who's influenced my way of thinking and my way of life and uh, the way that I talk. I'm South African. Uh, I shed my accent when I was 16 because I went to an all-English prep school and we were taught Oxford. Believe it or not, okay. yes, and, yes. Uh, and uh, we were taught the Bard, which is highly respected. One of my dreams is to still perform the Bard on stage. <clears throat> give me any, give me any part, give me any part in any play of Shakespeare. That's my dream. But back to the story that I wanted to tell uh, about Stephen Fry, who you ought to know very well. I knew well. you were going to say Stephen. 
Sorry about that. My microphone went dead. That's okay. Um, Stephen went on a, on a chat show once. So actually, he was actually speaking at Cambridge. And uh, he said, there's a difference between American humor and Brit humor. American humor is big, right? And I know Danny is an American. It's the Jim Carrey. It's um, John Belushi. They get the girl. And, you know, they walk around like they've got the biggest knob in the room. But then you get to English humor. And then it's a fact of, I've walked to a party. Oh, God, I forgot my knob. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact remains standing is we need to laugh about our mistakes. And that's more or less how you started. Uh, yeah. Laughing about the hooch. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it sort of encapsulated sort of what I'm trying to achieve in life. I do, I'm only, I do it for me, entirely selfish reasons. It, it helps me stay sober, I think. It's like... If other people like it, well, that's good. Um, but I, I, I never got into journaling, but then I, um, I started on Instagram just posting, trying to post one thing a day about mm. alcohol and recovery. And um, like all things, I actually started off fairly seriously, and this is, happens to everything I do. I try and do something serious, and then gradually I just become a little bit sillier. Um, and then any sort of seriousness has gone fairly quickly. Um, but that seems to go down quite well because it can be a bit of a serious subject, can't it? Um, sort of, you know, addiction. I mean, it takes lives, gives people diseases. It's, it's all a bit nasty, isn't it? Um, so I just, I just try and take a lighthearted approach to it. Um, I, I suppose, I mean, I always used to make a, well, I used to make a knobhead of myself all the time when I was drunk. It's just I didn't remember myself. Have we all made? Exactly. We all? I make a complete knob of myself drunk. So all of a sudden it's like, well, why be afraid of making a knob of myself sober? It's the only difference is I remember it now. Um, I suppose that's a, a double-edged sword as well, though, sobriety, because there's so many things that you would do, like, and you could say, oh, sorry, I was... I was drinking, I was drunk. Now when I do stupid things, I cannot use that defence anymore. <laughs> well, I can't say, you can't blame it on the drink when you've been on tea all day. Um, and, well, let me yeah. have a playing field with you, Mikey. You talk about getting, doing stupid things when you are pissed. I remember second year, I was busy with, um, with me exams and I had to write a law exam. God, how terrible that is because i mean you have to know every case number you have to know every story behind it yada 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 sounds hideous and, oh big time big time i don't know how the lord mayor manages to to get going but there it is and uh, i wrote with a hangover and there i go and i write right 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 with this power drill to my head of a ha of a headache and you know i'm thinking to myself oh i failed i'm not going to pass and sure enough, I passed. 94%. Yeah, performance-enhancing drug, isn't it? Performance-enhancing drug, mate. I, I convinced nice myself job. it was because I got something quite similar with exams. Um, I was I didn't go to university. Well, not for very long. <laughs> um, I was, they didn't, yeah, I embarrassed myself and left. But um, before that, we have our A-levels that we do when we're 18 in subjects we specialise yeah, yeah, yeah. in. And I was um, studying German. And I was always very, I was very good at German and we had our mock exams. One of the things I've always struggled 
a lot with is is nerves. So the written exams and stuff is absolutely fine, but if I've got to perform or like um, speak in a in an exam, that's when the nerves really kick in. It's the same with driving tests, except you really can't drink before those. Um, and Unless you're I, I did, really brave. Sorry? Unless you're really brave. Or stupid. Um, <laughs> so I am... Um, I, I I realized that when I, I had some German friends, I went on a German exchange and they said to me, we'd had some drinks whilst we were out there, because you can drink from 16 as well when you're in Germany. So that's what we did every day. And they said, Michael, um, when you when you have a couple of drinks, your German becomes a lot more fluent. And that's because I was more relaxed and stuff. So I'd, I did my mock exams completely sober and I stammered all the way through because the nerves kicked in. I couldn't get my words out. I couldn't think straight. And I got a C and I was absolutely devastated because I should have been like a straight A student in German. <laughs> and so I was... Um, I remembered what my friends, my German friends had said about when I had a couple of drinks. So um, luckily opposite my house, even though I was in a tiny village, opposite the house was the village store. And um, Martini was quite cheap there for some reason. I think it was £4.99 at the time. That's aging me. It's about £14 now, I think. And um, I bought a bottle of that and I drank about three quarters of the bottle of Martini on my way to college for the exam, uh, which was taking place at 10 a.m. Um so I turned up really quite drunk because um, I was only 18. My tolerance to alcohol wasn't huge. And so I sort of staggered in. And I remember the my teacher, who was the examiner, looking at me, clearly <laughs> concerned, concerned for my welfare that I turned up to do. I mean, I was applying for Cambridge University at the time as well. And I turned up for my speaking exam drunk. Um, but I sat down, did the exam and... I didn't lose a single point, a percentage point. I was, I got one of the highest, right? I didn't lose any points in that exam. I got full marks. And that, that was from a C to full marks. And it was all down to relaxing with the power of alcohol. And from that point onwards, I always taught, um, convinced myself that alcohol made me do things better. It didn't make me walk better um, or remember my keys better or anything or, um, you know, build better relationships with people. Um, But, yeah, I convinced myself it was – and bowling as well. Rubbish at bowling. You know, 10-pin bowling? Bing, big time. Three pints. I start getting strikes the rest of the time. If I'm completely sober, it just goes in the the gully or whatever. And I start getting strikes after three, but four pints and it starts going downhill, five pints, I'm rubbish again. So I always used to think there was this, like, this special little balance you could get. And if you could get it just right, then you'd be some sort of superhuman. And I spent about 20 years trying to perfect that and always ended up as a drunken arsehole who was passed out on the street. So I've given up on that one. Um, sure. And I'm just trying to conquer nerves by doing scary things until they're not scary now, which is well, the reason... I signed up for comedy. <laughs> that brings me to another point. You know, I'm exactly at the same place that you once were, at one one half year sober. You know, um, you begin to doubt yourself. You, you begin to see life as it is. You start to think to yourself, "Okay, the filter has gone away completely. That's fine." But now you have to do this thing called life. And I know. Can I, can I do it without without the boots? You know, that four four pound nine pence or ninety nine pence rather can actually go to bread and milk. Okay, that's great. That four pound ninety nine pence can actually go to something like a comic book. 
wow, I actually like this. And seeing life through those completely different filters nowadays, you know, I, I like discovering the new me, the real me, changing me thinking, changing the way that I used to see life before I would grab the booze, before I would grab the, the, the drugs. Remember if your mindset changed after a year or so? It definitely has. I mean, there are quite a few things have changed. I'm just a lot more, well, immediately before I um, stopped drinking, I mean, my uh, mental health had got so low that I was put under the care of the mental health team. I was I was walking around in circles. I was really depressed. I was I'd overdosed on prescription drugs, and I just I just really wanted to end things. I, that was it. I was done. I was spent. Um, and then gradually, sort of after about three months, I was beginning to feel quite perky, which was um which was a nice change. I mean, I was on some meds as well, um, but I was beginning to learn the joy of sleep, and I haven't unlearned that one yet in fact I. I'm, I'm, I have little naps during the day now because I work from home as soon as it's, it's lunch isn't it? it's lunchtime what I do is I just say Alexa set alarm for one hour and then I lie down on the sofa and I have a, a nap every lunch but the problem is now at the weekend if I'm out I start feeling tired like my body is telling me okay it's nap time and that doesn't always work out so well, but I'm, I'm enjoying sleep. I'm, I think I'm feeling a lot more restored from having quality sleep. I love when the, when meeting the power goes, When the power goes out and there's no more battery life in your, in your, in your Alexa, do you get to sleep longer? Oh, unfortunately, it's main, so it, um, I have overslept a couple of times, to be honest. <laughs> it's mains powered, but yeah. Um, I mean, I have got a little couple of hacks if you do need some extra sleep. I mean, hopefully my, my boss isn't listening to any of this. But one thing I've noticed is that, um, well, there's a couple of things you can do, actually. If you need to get extra naps whilst you're supposed to be working, um, one way is you can run a little macro on your computer. You know, that says it's on like once you're in Excel or something. And you can say macro and press, press numlock. And then it just repeats that, and every minute you'll press numlock, and that makes it look like you're busy typing. So that's quite an advanced way. Or if you're on a Microsoft Teams meeting, I've noticed, if everybody hangs up from the meeting and you don't, then your computer still stays on the whole time, and the little green light shows, so if it goes, oh, look, they're working, get an extra little nap in that way. <laughs> well, as they say, if you can't dazzle with brilliance, baffle with bullshit. <laughs> as long as you get your work done. I mean, it might mean you have to go done. back on a bit later in the evening and do a bit, but sometimes you, know you just need part? a nap. You know what's the best part? You're saving money. Yes, yeah, you are saving money. By How, how are you saving money? Uh, by napping? Alcohol? Yes, oh, sorry, I thought you meant by napping. Like, napping is saving me money. I'm thinking... I don't know how that one works out. That's only when um, you retire. Then you can save all your money and keep it in the bank account when you need it, and then you can just earn interest on the napping. Oh, but that is actually the retirement thing. That's it's a bit of a sore point, actually, because that I'm is something I've got to worry about now. Forget it. I'm not going to retire. No, well, I, I'd like to. I'd like to do it today. Um, but whilst I was drinking and smoking and being a, a, a wally, um, 
I, I never paid into my pension at work. I always opted out. The first thing I'd do when I started a job was I'd opt out of my pension. And it's because it's actually quite expensive and I wanted that money for drink and fags. And so people say, oh, Michael, why haven't you, why have you opted out of the pension? It's like, well, I want the money now. Um, like, so the amount I drink and smoke, there's no chance I'm going to get to pensionable age and the alcohol and cigarettes are my insurance policy to make sure I don't. And now I've stopped drinking. It's like, oh God, there's there's quite a good chance I'll make it to something like beyond seventy, and all of a sudden I'm going to be in poverty. So um, I'm now buying lottery card tickets and scratch cards, um, and I'm hoping that maybe I've got well, yeah, I'm hoping I've got a wealthy maiden aunt out there who has um, no other relatives that I've never heard of, but she hopefully she knows about me. Um, <laughs> Because otherwise, I'm going to be sort of just. Oh, I'm going to, can you imagine the old people's home? It's going to be like a Victorian workhouse, isn't it? It's going to be. They'll Making probably have plates for an extra couple of pounds. Oh God! They'll probably have ITV on all day, like commer- <laughs> terrible commercial television, as opposed to BBC. Even so, I'd have to sit through the adverts and. Well, think well, about. At least you can see good reruns of the chase. Oh yeah, there is that. I suppose five o'clock, <laughs> something to look forward to. Michael, it's so you're so much of fun. And let me just add this. The lady who started this podcast is American. I'm South African, English trained. And hearing someone from, from the UK just brings out the English in me, uh, the, the, the Newcastle in me. You're becoming, I was going to say, you're becoming a little bit more Yorkshire, actually. I think you, you're going further north as the, uh, north. Yeah, as the program progresses. You'll probably be Scottish by the end. Big time, because I, I love the English, you know, they taught me everything that I know. Because um, in South Africa... <laughs> it's a nice little effect. <laughs> thank you, Danny. Um, here in South Africa, we've got a lot of mixed cultures, multi-ethnic. I don't know how much you're familiar with my country, but um, a, lot of, a lot of Englishmen that came over here to... We were British colonialized yep. back in the years of yore. And uh, when I was 16, I was in this all English prep school. People from, from Lancashire, Yorkshire, Newcastle upon Tyne, Geordie. Uh, so originally, where I started with this accent, which is the traditional Afrikaner accent, yep. that yep. all completely by the wayside, and I adopted the English way of life. I was taught the English style of speaking on the radio. Uh, championed by, give me good names, um, uh, uh, Michael O'Connor. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? I was going to say Des O'Connor. Des O'Connor. Who's true. Um, I say again, Michael Parkinson. Yes. Uh, um, uh, so many names. Paxman. Then, of course, sorry? Paxman. Pac- oh, uh, Jeremy Paxman. Yes. Oh, my gosh. If I had to tell you what an influence he's been on South African talk radio, my really? golly. It's terrifying, isn't it? Big time. Because the reason being is he asks the questions that other people don't dare. And he's not <laughs> rude. Oh, he is. Oh, he's, he can be a little in bit of a... In my opinion, he isn't. Because 
he just asks the same question the same number of times until he gets a response and that might make him controversial yes well that's you're allowed to do that with politicians i mean i did journalism training and they said like ask people the question you know sort of up to two times generally but if they're a politician asking them the question as many times as it takes to get a decent answer so they're fair game but yeah he also has like um he does a program called university challenge and that's just like it's like a quiz for students and it's like he's using the same tactic and i'm thinking you don't have to be mean to the little students <laughs> sometimes you have to be cruel to be kind let's be honest on a game show <laughs> or, or the land robinson i suppose yeah, I, I wanted link. to say what about the weakest link what yeah that, well, that's, link, yeah people know what they're letting themselves in for don't they big time but michael I want to ask you something, and I'm not being stupid when I ask this. Am I going to see you sometime at the end Edinburgh Fringe Festival with your comedic skills? Um, I, I wouldn't like to forecast such a thing. I'm, I'm not sure I have that great comedic skills yet. I'm very much oh, entry geez. level. Entry level. I only did my first proper stand-up last week, and... It was, yeah, see, I've, I've been doing some improvised comedy and that's part of like a group. And so it's more of a team effort and you don't have to prepare anything. And I decided to, without any experience to do a, just a very small, it was like a five minute set at the, um, which I did last weekend. In fact, I didn't even have a set properly. Um, my aim was to um, go on stage not have some sort of nervous or emotional breakdown, ideally make one or two people giggle um, and, and just survive, just survive. And I did that and I've learned a lot from that and I've put myself up for another one um, next month and I've got a much better... I've, five minutes is not... A, it, it flies past. You can't do much interaction and stuff. And there's a compare. They're there for that, I've decided. So I've got a lot more ideas i'm going to try these and i you know there's little that you compete with others on the night and i'm i'm now feeling competitive i reckon i could there's a the trophy that's uh just over an inch tall made out of plastic that's the prize if you win and <laughs> i have never wanted a trophy so much in my life it, it's about it takes it's like a shot <laughs> <laughs> i was going to say the same it's a shot glass, essentially, but plastic and gold. Well, thank, thank goodness it's plastic and it's not glass, because then, you know, the old triggers might kick in, and then you think to yourself, oh, now I'm in the same space now what I was. But I really think that you've got talents. You know, I've, I've seen a couple of your videos. I've seen a couple of your, of your routines. I think your chops in your improv and just the way that you are so positively deprecating about yourself it rubs off on people i think and that's why i personally believe that your outreach with um, help me write again i just want to go back to the to the to the, to the kit uh south and sober socials has been seeing such a good turnaround because of people who can identify with your humor and with your your um the message that you're trying to spread would you agree with me or what has your experience well, been like with that there's um so the South End Sober Socials, that was that that came first really, before I started trying to get involved before I got involved in any comedy or artistic endeavours. Um is early fairly early on in my recovery, I decided that you know, I'd, I'd had my relapse and everything. And then when I was back on the wagon, I thought, I'm not going to do things exactly the same. I don't want to mm -hmm. go to the pub every night and watch people get drunk whilst I get grumpy. Um, 
So I, I sort of put out an appeal in a local Facebook group um, to see if anybody else would be interested in socialising sober, if I could, you know, alcohol-free on Friday and Saturday nights, if I could find a venue and some forms of entertainment. And I thought maybe one or two people would say yes, but I got quite a good response, with, especially on the um, coming out of lockdown. And I think a lot of people drank very heavily as their primary oh, yeah. form of entertainment. And... Um, were rethinking their relationship with alcohol and so i started putting on some sort of low low-key events we had um musicians this was comedy or music of it live music and mm. um and since since then since christmas really i've been focusing mainly on getting groups together and going to there's there's a few alcohol free events in london that's it's really beginning to burgeon now the sort of alcohol free scene so Instead of trying, to, it was logistically a bit of a nightmare for me to get stopped down to a venue uh, in the back of a tiny car, sell it, take it all back, doing that sort of on Fridays and Saturdays. And it's now that there's other events going on, I've got the Facebook group. Sometimes they people have met through the group and they meet up and we meet up for coffees and walks and stuff. Or I get groups together to go to events mm -hmm. that other people organize, which selfishly I prefer because instead of having to do all the organization, I can turn up as as a guest and enjoy it myself as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that, I mean, that came first. And then it was through through that that I then started doing some of the, the comedy. I'd heard, I'd heard of the local sort of improvised comedy um, club. And actually, I, um, no, I started that by complete accident. Um, I'm a very disorganised person, and when I was trying to when I was trying to um, organise um, sober socials, I um, went along to this networking do that was going to be held um, in the same place that the comedy club is is held. Mm -hmm. um, except I turned up a week early, so I turned up all dressed for this this fairly dull business networking thing. And I was like, looked around the corner. I thought, oh, this doesn't look like networking. There's all the chairs out. And that's when I discovered I had actually turned up a week early and it was an improvised comedy night. And I thought, oh, well, I've, I've made it here now. I've come all the way here. I might as well buy a ticket. So I bought the ticket, watched it, and then on the way out, ended up being roped up into signing up to an improvised comedy course for 10 weeks. So um, that was quite fortuitous. It was just completely by accident. And I'm a really easy person to sell stuff to. I mean... I d it doesn't take much convincing. Um, Tell some dog shit is, 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 is horseradish, you'll eat it. Oh, I love horseradish. <laughs> I eat it out the jar just with a spoon. The hotter, the better. <laughs> Case in point. But I really think you're a talented comedian. Discovering that facility about yourself must be really refreshing, isn't it? Uh... I, I've got some good feedback from people, actually, sometimes. Um, and that is, it's, it's a form of self-validation, isn't it? And it gets to give you a bit of dopamine and uh, you can get a, a natural rush and high out of it. And I'd known that this course actually existed for ages and I thought, oh, I'd love to do a bit of improvised comedy, but there's no way on God's green earth that I'm going to get up on a stage and potentially make a complete idiot of myself by failing to be amusing. Um and 
and as I said, I mean, I'd always suffered badly from nerves. I, I did my driving test four times because I couldn't keep my legs still on the pedals. That's Neither how could I. That, that's what was just shaking so much. And so the idea of actually going on a stage. And then at the end of the course, I mean, I'd been sober for a good while and had to go out and socialise and, you know, walk into rooms full of strangers and stuff. And I, I got used to it. And I saw um, a couple of the other people going on stage for the first time because um, mm. some other people have started at the same time as me. And they were like, watching them down a pint and sort of shaking a bit because they're so nervous. And I was thinking, why? Why aren't I nervous now? I was like, this is normally the point I'd have some sort of breakdown. I thought, oh, maybe I'll just be typical me and I'll be fine until I actually have to say something and then I'll spontaneously combust. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, I didn't get nervous. Um, and I haven't done since. Even when I went on stage completely unprepared for this um, stand-up thing. I didn't write anything down. I mean, that was or practice. So those are no, two yeah. notes I've made. Um, but I still wasn't nervous, even when I wasn't brilliant. You know, I wasn't going on there to be brilliant. I think it's because I've set my expectations lower as well. Because my, you know, my aim... Do you when, want to go anywhere, set the expectations lower? You know, well, this is your oyster. Take the pressure off myself. I, like, it was my first time on stage, so I wasn't going on there hoping to win like the prize when other people have been there for sort of weeks and months and done loads of practice i wanted to go on there and survive and if i was slightly amusing well that's that's um that's a bonus and that really does take the pressure off and then so you can just relax into it and enjoy it and if you're enjoying it other people tend to be enjoying it more so no. i mean if well, i'm still back like, in 10 years time i'm haven't made any improvement. I might jack it in, but Val, I'm, I'm pleased to see the progress. <laughs> well, it's a control here. <laughs> but I say again, what I love about it is that you're you're so self-deprecating, but in a good way. You know, in in recovery, we we learn that off. But you've actually made it your superpower, and I think. You don't seem like a man that just wants to tap on the shoulder. You make the best of every situation, and not a lot of people can say that. You know, it took me two years to accept myself and actually laugh at my shortcomings and say to myself, I am growing because of this. But it all happens in the back of the head, right? Mm -hmm. And what you have done, you know, I stand in awe of you. Truthfully, I stand in awe of you truthfully, and you know, you have my unabated respect with um, what you have struggled with. You know, you're very, very open, and even though you've been very succinct with what you've went through and how you've chronicled your struggles and how you've actually made the negative into a positive, I've always said to a lot of people, you have to laugh at yourself. Now, sure, I can tell people it's okay to laugh at yourself, but they need to experience it for themselves to understand it. And for you getting it right in one year, not blowing smoke up your skirt, but you can be proud. You can be proud. Thank and you it's very going much. To be a pleasure. It's going to be a pleasure to see you grow and grow and grow. And see this as a challenge, but I would like to see you at, 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 at shows. Give it a try when the time is right. You know, Edinburgh Festival Fringe or hell, even do a TED Talk. Those are virtual nowadays. Yes, I, I, I'm like n nodding as if 
I've ever really watched a TED talk or know really what it is. I'll Google it though. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a dinosaur um, with, with with this stuff. And like I'm online now, but I didn't get Instagram until last year. Until se- or September last year, I sort of downloaded it and thought, "What's this about?" Because I thought it was for young people, and I resisted getting a mobile phone until I was 28 because I had an answering machine at home, and I thought, if I'm out. I don't want people to call me. So <laughs> I want to go out. I want to read a book. No one knows where I am. They can't bother me. That's the point of going out, surely. So I, I, I didn't get the mobile phone until I was 28. And actually, I, I kind of miss that. I miss just being able to disappear on a Saturday morning and mm. go to a cafe with a book and no one knows where you are and you've got that time to yourself. But So, yeah, I'll um, maybe a TED talk. I'm getting a little bit more digitally savvy now might check that out but yes i'm gonna be doing a few more sort of gigs small ones in london and maybe a couple local to me in south end there's not much of a scene here because it's sure. it's like a population of 180,000, so it's not the biggest place in the world but it's got a nice little comedy scene but we're quite close to london so i can grow so i'm just going to try and perfect like a five minute type um piece first and then see if i can get some longer ones as I build up the material and become sort of a, hopefully a little bit more adept at it. Well, you know what, Michael, you've had me in stitches for almost an entire hour. That in itself is a testament to your talent. And I think, not talking down to you, I'm trying to motivate you here, but um, I think there's an untapped talent that's starting to emerge within you and I'm ex- believe me when I say I'm excited with you and I'm elated with you to see where the road goes. I hear exactly what you're saying. Baby steps. Baby steps. You know, I wanted to spin records for the rest of my life as uh, for, for entertainment to, to earn some, some money. But now I'm in a completely different position. And I'm loving it. Brilliant. And that's Brilliant. an experience that, that you're having. And you owe it to yourself. I'm, I'm hoping, like, if I do get a bit better at it and um, that it could be my escape from civil service because, I mean, yeah, I've, I've had enough of that now. Um, so if I can get out of that trap, that would be wonderful. But at the moment, I'm very happy for it to be a hobby. Um, sure, but, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm just in, I'm enjoying life at the moment. And that's, I can't say that I've, I can't, say I've enjoyed most of my adult life. So it just feels like a really privileged <laughs> position. You're reborn. Yeah, not re. Well, yeah, I suppose reborn in a way. Um, I've, I think a lot of comparisons are made, aren't they? When, when people go sober, they compare it to sort of emerging as some sort of beautiful butterfly. Mm. And I, I, I agree with some of that. Like, um, certainly when I first stopped drinking, I started eating a lot, like the like the very hungry caterpillar. It was mainly jelly sweets, and I cocooned myself away um, for quite jelly a long babies. time. And I was hoping to emerge. Yeah, jelly babies are lovely, and wine gums are my favourite. And wine gums. Or maybe I'll see, I'll see. I'm still allowed those. Um, I or sour worms. Away. Sorry. Or sour worms. Well, we have Harry. Oh my God, fizzy worms! Don't get me started. I <laughs> I bought a two kilo, two kilogram box of jelly sweets um, for trick or treaters at Halloween. Um, and I live in a first floor flat, and I have never had any 
trick or treaters, but I didn't want to be caught unprepared. If, like, some, and it was sort of kind of locked down as well, so we were being advised not to trick or treat. Um, so, consequently, yeah, there was there was no one, no one came for the sweets, and they lost, <laughs> no children came, and I don't want them to go off. I believe in zero food waste. I've got it's a strict policy in my household, so I I ate them within two days. Um, not didn't share any, not a single one, just a kilo a day of, of Haribo. Um, so yeah, the sugar addiction hasn't exactly gone since. I'm still working on it myself, and I'm I'm working on year four. Of, so yeah, of still. So it was. We've got to do this in order to, you know, come out of our cocoons healthy, haven't we? Um, I decided though that I'm I'm never going to be a butterfly. I, I was very excited and expectant, but I came out as a moth, and I'm. Everyone was hoping for a butterfly. Came out as a moth, and I'm quite happy with that, you know. Um, and tell me something. Where did your awareness start of getting proper labelling on alcohol? How did that whole awareness thing start for you? Um. I think I, somebody else had pointed out to me as well, like the disparity that you have in this country, at least in the UK, um, between the way we handle cigarettes and the way we handle alcohol. So in the UK, cigarettes mm. aren't allowed to even be on display for a, like they have to be um, closed away behind cupboard doors when they're on sale. Um, mm. And for ages, the packaging on them has just been plain and has graphic pictures of sort of manky old lungs that are covered in tar. Um, mm. And it doesn't look very appealing. I always used to joke it's like the worst advert I've ever seen, but that was kind of the point. Yet, in order to get to this aisle of um, cigarettes, you, you sorry, the, the cigarettes behind the counter, you go past well, a third of the shops usually alcohol, and it all looks beautiful, you know. The wine sort of trodden by virgins at a full moon. And it's, it's, that is still, maybe if not advertised, it's still mm. very attractive looking. And the whole yeah. cult, our, our culture still glorifies alcohol. It's wonderful social um, mm. qualities. And a lot of people, I, I started this petition and I didn't get a very good response from a lot of people locally. Um, they, yeah, yeah, there's quite, quite a few people who are upset by my idea of changing the labeling. It's like you'd have thought I was trying to ban alcohol and snatch the special brew out of their hand mid-sip. But um, it was... It, I, I, I got some of the point that cigarette smoking is more dangerous for the person. Potentially, you've got a higher risk of um, cancer than you have of drinking alcohol. But it's just... if we what we fail to see with alcohol is that there are so many harms that alcohol brings to not just the individual, but to society that smoking simply doesn't. I mean, people don't tend to um, go out, and smoke, smoke 20 cigarettes, then go home and beat their wife up um, in the same they might do with alcohol. Or they don't smoke 20 cigarettes and then decide to climb a telegraph pole, fall off and die. I mean, there's so many other because it's so mind-altering, there's so many other harms that mm. alcohol brings mm. that are in many ways worse than cigarettes, yet they it's still openly sold, glorified, and doesn't face any of the restrictions that, that cigarettes do. And I just thought it'd be good to get that conversation going because I don't think if, if 
with adults today, I don't think adults are going to change their opinions of alcohol just because of a change of labelling, but that was never the idea with cigarettes. It's, it's for a generation of children to grow up seeing alcohol as something that's ugly and um, a bit dirty, which is how they see cigarettes now. They'd much rather have a vape. Um, and if, if we could uh, change labelling and the presentation and advertising of alcohol in the same way, then maybe um, the younger generation have got a better chance of not getting caught up in, in, in all its dangers. So, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. You know, I think, and you can disagree with me on this, I'm open-minded, and if people tell me I'm judgmental, I appreciate it. But we, the pandemic has opened a complete dip, a complete Pandora's box with regards to social issues. Mm. Uh, narcissism, trauma, sexual abuse, and plus also awareness. Uh, I do agree with you that there needs to be better information on cigarette packaging and on alcohol about the dangers. Try it at your own risk. You and I, we have an addictive personality. So sadly, we're going to abstain from that. Agree? But... It's sadly become commodity where, you know, play Russian roulette, see if you're going to miss it or if you're going to get a shot in the head. And um, today's youth, because of this pandemic, are a lot more at risk, I believe, not just for the factors that I've just mentioned, but for, for even an array more. And you know what? I think you should tap yourself on the shoulder as well. I said this to someone else a, a few days ago. If you get someone who gets upset with you because of your initiative, you must cheer because you've planted the seed. Somewhere along the line, they're going to think to themselves, huh, Michael actually made a good point. And ultimately, you win. And having spread that message, and I get it, you know, that not everyone's going to get your intentions on the first go. That's sadly life, you know. People are people. But I implore you to carry on in good stead. Carry on with what you're doing. Where the one person may not hear, they will listen, but there are going to be silent masses who are going to become louder and louder and louder. It's all just, you know, carrying on, carrying on, carrying on. That's the, all that we can do to it. Well, the main reason I had for launching the petition, I wasn't expecting to succeed in it. It was just a petition by sort of some short bloke in South End um, about alcohol wasn't, wasn't likely to succeed. But what I did want to do was stimulate conversation in my local community. And it seems to have done that. It's pissed a lot of people off. So that's an emotional reaction. So that's a, that's a positive in my book. People, it got people talking, got some people angry, and then, yeah, it triggered conversation. And if people are talking about something, then that might cause them to to rethink. Some people are going to be entrenched in their views and they're never going to change it, but it might cause one or two people to think, actually, why do we treat alcohol so differently to cigarettes? I mean, we used to glamorize cigarettes in exactly the same way. It was sexy, it was plastered over sort of film posters and um, but we've managed to change people's views on smoking. Well, maybe mm. in 50 years' time, we'll have managed to change people's views on drinking as well. I'm sure there'll be some sort of new substance that everyone will be addicted to instead. But uh, I, part of me thinks that 
it's like a part of society we've we've got to allow the masses to have one legal drug and we've decided that it's alcohol um pills aren't enough sorry sorry headache pills aren't enough no they don't work for me um <laughs> it's i've tried <laughs> I'm coffee and coffee and e numbers for me these days. Uh, I hear you, but uh, you raise a good point. And uh, Michael, I sincerely, we still got six minutes to go. You're more than welcome to. Uh, we can chat a little bit further. Actually, the one one question I want to ask you quickly is uh, getting back to your comedy. Um, you said it was improvisational. It's within a group. Have you thought about perhaps telling your road to recovery in a comedy routine, or, or are you more happy with more the improvisational? Well, see, I'm doing both. Yeah. So what, what I've done is the improvised comedy as part of a, a team. I've right. done a couple of nights of that, and I've got a couple more coming up. But what I did last week was stand up for the first time, and as i said it's only a short set at the moment but i'm looking to develop it and that was based on some of my experiences of trying to give up the booze so because i wanted it to be a platform for talking about um alcohol and recovery because i mean people usually fairly inebriated when they're watching a comedy as well um it's quite a good place to find people who could probably benefit from sobriety um so that's that's my target audience Do, do it as a, a comedic crash course for people who probably should be rethinking their relationship with alcohol. I'm going out to the masses to proselytize like some sort of missionary. Uh, <laughs> they don't realize I'm doing it because they're laughing. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard me <laughs> laughing me at all. Uh, and becoming more English with Michael Sargood. Michael Sargood has uh, initiated the initiative called Happy Without the Hooch. We invite our audience, those who have attended and those who are going to be watching on demand, to visit Michael on his Instagram handle at Happy Without the Hooch, Hooch, excuse me, all in succession, and then at South End Sober Socials, also on Instagram, and you can see some of his humor. Please give it a round of applause for Mr. Michael Sargood. Mate, thank you so much for coming onto the show. We are extremely proud of you. I say it especially. I'm elated for everyone who takes a good, positive step in the right direction. And, you know, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being so transparent and um, making me laugh. I truly needed it. And, you know, just accepting me for who I am, even though I sounded extremely linguistically the opposite direction, but it's just natural. As I said, when I'm in the midst of Englishmen, I become more English because I'm English trained. I love uh, the English as well. And I love your insights. I love your uh, um, the, story, the, the, the stance that you took. Not many people can boast it. And I want to see more comedy content from you, brother. You've made a friend for life. Thank you so much. I very rarely felt such such love. And uh, and that introduction, I mean, if you could just email it to me, I'm, I just might oh. try and use it as an employment reference at some point, a character reference. <laughs> uh, in case of any court cases coming up or something, that would be particularly I'll helpful. hear your case for you. And I'd uh, like to say to our audience, thank you so much for joining in. Please... <clears throat> 
Whenever we do this live, I know that a lot of us, this is still a relatively new podcast. We invite people to come and ask us questions. You can ask our guest, most importantly, our questions with regards to sobriety, their way of life, anything that uh, comes across your mind. We want to encourage open conversation. Please don't be shy. And we're also going to start uh, practicing giveaways on our show. And especially a great thanks to Daniela for letting me drive this solo. Michael, thanks again. Look after yourself. God bless, man, mate. Auf Wiedersehen. Thank you so much. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Get out.